one time for the one time what's going on ken folk you already know what it is what it was and what it always will be this is the black owned podcast and i am your host the main man with the game plan janice's oldest boy sincere and i got my co-host with me how you doing everybody it's peaches uh, uh your girl is here and ready to dive in join us because it's going to be interesting hope you all tune on in we have a big surprise at the end this one's gonna be um this this one's gonna be informative. We got some uh the the first one we're gonna get into is is this COVID vaccine, the rollout, and you know what you think about it and, and what I think about it because uh seems like it's been a lot of solicitation to the black community. But we're also gonna be talking to our uh black owned business of the week, um, which is the uh NU credit, which uh does uh what they do. He, they repairs, he repairs credit, and in addition to that, he educates you on how to keep it at the level that it is once he, uh, or to increase it at, uh, I'm stumbling over my words, y'all, I'm rusty. He, never, never underestimate credit, that's what the name is. He uh, not just restores your credit, he also educates you, because we all know it's easy to get money, it's hard to keep money. So uh, he gonna he gonna hook you up, but it ain't even really about money. It's about credit. You know what I'm saying? So we we gonna we gonna get down with that. But first, um, let's talk about this. Let's talk about COVID. The the, the vaccine is is uh is beginning to roll out. Um, Pfizer's already been approved and rolled out. I heard Moderna got su- approved today to begin their rollout. Um, sometime next week. Um, quite just uh, the differences are are minute at best from what I've seen. Um, and we also had our first reported case of um, somebody having a bad reaction to the vaccine. Um, it wasn't anything like too crazy. It's three? Yes. Okay, well, the first one I heard of was the lady, I guess, um, what happened was she, and it was, a, of course, it was a hospital worker. She developed a bad rash and um, was unable to breathe. Um, but I did uh, read that she was able to be brought back to uh, stable rather quickly and, and easily, but it, it's still reported as a reaction, if you will, to or a side effect to this vaccine. What you think about um, what we can expect from this vaccine and the rollout so far? Well, personally, me, myself, um I guess I would be considered part of the black cliche. I'm scared. <laughs> right. You know, you all remember um, a few years ago when Bill Clinton was president, he came and gave a public apology because of the syphilis um, study that they did with the Tuskegee men. Um, he did. What it was, was they purposely gave a group of black men syphilis and they didn't treat it. They wouldn't treat them because they wanted to use them for science in order to test them to see the uh, fallout from it or all the side effects in order to make that vaccine for you know. For, yeah, yeah, they wanted to see what the side effects was or what would happen. And not only that, but even in, in, you know, in more recent times um, where we talk about where doctors were not um, giving black women who were coming in to give birth um their uh their um epidural shots and you know as quick or immediate as they would for anyone else because they believe that a black woman has a higher tolerance for pain than everybody else forcing some of these women to deliver naturally which is not what they 
you know, wanted to do. So, um, yeah, of course, you know, uh, people of color are definitely going to have, we, we're going to be a little iffy yeah. when it comes to taking this vaccine. We And there are, you know, there are several other incidents as well that we could go into. But, you know, I, well, one I'll go into is um, the, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation went to Kenya, gave all of these women over there um, a vaccine, which basically sterilized them and kept them from being able to get pregnant. Um, that what is the MRM mumps rubella vaccine, which uh, was which was yeah. founded to be, yeah, to give um, sixty percent, two hundred and sixty percent more of a chance for black boys to be pushed to the autism spectrum because of it than their white counterparts. So I mean, there are a lot of reasons why you know we feel the way that we feel when it comes to these vaccines. It's not just we we scared of the boogeyman up in the mountains or anything like that. More importantly, uh, to keep it all the way a hundred, we a show me type of person. You can say I'm from the show me state. You go ahead and you get the vaccine, and well, I'll watch you. And if everything come back, I might do it. But if not, you know, you dummy. Right. So, right. So I I seen that um Joe Biden is supposed to actually take the vaccine publicly sometime next week. You uh, right. Even if he right. I mean, that, I'm not going to be impressed. My, me, myself. I'm not impressed either. Is it the vaccine? Is it water? Is it totally <laughs> like just because he got on TV and um, gets a vaccine or go through the motions of receiving a vaccine doesn't specifically mean that's what it is. You can't exactly. copy or whatever. So I'm, I'm going to watch and see. This was rolled out. I can't think of any type of uh, vaccine that has been made this fast without any side effects. There's no study, no long-term study of side effects because the although this isn't a new disease, the um the way it morphed and mutated to the right. point where it's um a pandemic, that's pretty new. Yeah. And so someone to come in and sprinkle some magical fairy dust over some stuff within the let with what a not even a year and mm -hmm. say okay we good we got it now yeah. I'm gonna get this. but ain't no cure for AIDS but you just this these people dropping in you know astronomical <laughs> ratings but you know and I'm not gonna believe it like yeah 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 it's just I don't know. I don't know about it I mean in the the, and the rollout, um, and the, so the differences between the Pfizer and the Moderna is the Pfizer is supposed to be at a 95% um, rate while Moderna is like 94.5 efficiency rate. Um, it doesn't have to be, Pfizer, you have to have it stored at negative 80 degrees, which is crazy to me. Um, for the Moderna, it's only like negative 25 or something, you know what I'm saying, to that effect. And uh, That's cute. Especially yeah. Military, you know what they say. If y'all hey. we went through behind the scenes, y'all wouldn't trust us to win no war. <laughs> so, think about how uh, uh, vaccine that and set on the pier for <laughs> seriously. Seriously, so, like, hey, hey, so at the, at the same time, though, I mean, we've been shot up with so much, we probably immune to half of this stuff that they talk about anyway. The anthrax, <laughs> okay. <laughs> You know, man, we probably good anyway. So it's going to be interesting to see um, how how this comes about. But um, the delivery methods of it are, um, you know, suspect to me. 
you know, um, at best. And I know that uh, speaking of delivery, I, I see that FedEx and UPS have split it down the middle where they're going to go. Um, the FedEx is going to take care of the west, the, the western part of the the nation, and um, US U, UPS is going to take care of the the eastern portion of the nation. So. Um, the vaccine is here. We'll see. I, I want to know. It's on time, so I w- I'm dying to see how this uh, plays out. It plays out right, yeah. And I want to know um, what happens if it's mandatory. What are we going to do if it's mandatory? If, we, if if it's mandatory and they say peaches, your babies can't come to school unless they got this vaccine. What are we going to do? It's a good thing I'm an educated black woman. Okay, talk to me. Okay, if that's the uh, case, it's like not like I can't give them the type of education up to a certain level in order to help them succeed. They have too many um, YouTube channels and self-help channels and books for dummies and for us to get our kids prepared to pass a GED test and, and go on with the uh, rest of their, I mean, a uh, high school diploma and go on with the rest of their lives. Right. Um, and if that's the case, they would have to make all of, you know, there's so many people who don't have never been vaccinated at all. They would have to put so much, um, so many uh, things in place just in order to get them to where they need to be. So we're not worried about it being mandatory. Our concern is if a job is going to make it mandatory. Hey, if you get the shot, you can't work here. Now that's right. what when you start playing with people money you're you're you stand to get a better reaction or a better turnout thing we is instead of saying oh we can't go to school like some of the teachers get on my nerves any damn way yeah so what? i was going i was going to get to that point um when when does it uh i mean what happens if there is the point where they say hey you can't work you can't travel you can't do you know x y and z if you're not um if you haven't been vaccinated the, they don't the, have the, enough police force to enforce because I can't get on the plane don't mean I can't get in my car and go where I need to go unless you're going to have checkpoints and something, you know, what What are we this World War Z? Yeah, 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 good point It's just no way to enforce um, what you know, what you're saying there's no way to enforce it, especially with us we going to get around everybody We I know a lot of people that came up and never worked a day in their life on the PUA <laughs> and got audited so trust me it's a way around this. I'm- It'd be, yeah. So I, I'm a luckily, you know, I mean, my my last baby is a junior in high school, so it's it will be then. But that also makes you think too. Um, at this point, you know, a lot of kids and and parents are acclimated to the fact of their kids learning at home. So I think <laughs> that there would be a large number of people who probably would not have their children return to school, at least not immediately, um, if that became mandatory. Granted, okay, I have two children. Um, both of them are school age, middle school. My son a little extra, and you know, I went back to work, so I chose to have him do half of uh, the week in school and half of at home. Mm-hmm. And um, he was okay with it at first. I guess he just needed to be around people. So right. a few weeks ago, he come home and hey, mom, how would you feel about me going back online? Nah, you you gonna take the <laughs> You know, but um, it they, they put the option. So no, you know, now it's convenient for them to be able to go to school. If y'all know my my children's father lives in Jacksonville, so now we can really split the uh, time sharing thing a lot differently because they go to school on on 
on uh, the laptop and we right. know how significant a uh, black male is to a child. So mm-hmm. we've Indeed. been able to uh, make it so where that, of course, they leave tomorrow. Hey, you know, and they get to Party stay. Time. Yes, playtime. Hey, <laughs> I, I got a plan. But um, they get to stay with their dad. And, you know, a lot of this stuff is less complicated when there's no, no traditional school system in place. Right. I think... Um... I think there's I, certainly this is a rushed vaccine, and I think it's all because we there's a rush to get back to what we deem uh, as well as especially here in, in Texas. In Texas, Texas is about their money, so I, I don't think we're ever gonna go back. Like people are saying, hey, you're gonna gotta you know you're probably gonna wind up getting locked down. I don't think Texas is gonna lock down. Because we we need one thing that Texas is about is a day about their paper, and I don't think they're gonna get to a point where they completely shut down, which you know cuts off, you know, put the chokes the economy up a little bit, and and then no, I don't I don't think we're gonna have um, those types of, of issues here. But, but hey, you never yeah. know. We'll see. You know what I'm saying? So this goes the, this COVID situation goes in line with our next topic, mental health. You know the strain that is put on us as a community, and not just us as a uh, black people, but as as a whole. A whole, right? As a nation, right? But before we do that, um, you know, what I'm saying first, uh, we 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 gonna get one of uh one of our good listeners sent us uh sent us a shout out. So um, if if we need as many of these as possible, if you if you're listening, if you want to do one of these drops and send it to us, we certainly appreciate it, and we gonna um come back uh, after this with the black owned business of the week I say yo this is Pharaoh Creed from making pay monopoly battle rap league and I'm rocking with the best sincere and peaches the black owned podcast we lit yeah dig what's going on so we got uh Mr. Damon Thomas here CEO owner boss Whatever you want to call it, uh, the um, never underestimate credit LLC. Why? Why'd you name it? Never underestimate credit. Um, it's a, a, a ongoing story behind that, but the the most important part is that as the black community, we get that cash is king, everything. Right. But if you think about it. If you take it even to a dope boy context. What is consignment? Credit. Your name is everything that you possibly could have. And black people don't have anything because we don't own anything. So when we go into these uh, banks and we're asking for a loan or even start a small business, we can't get a loan because our name ain't no good. So building up our name creates a base for us to actually be able to go into these banks with our head held and know that we can go out here and get what we feel like we want to create something for ourselves. We can't hide nothing if we don't own nothing. So that when um, our understanding from growing up in the hood, we highly underestimate what credit is, but we will walk onto a car dealership and expect to take the best thing off the lot. Mm. How many of us can do that without illegally procuring our funds in order to make that happen. I mean, well, uh, you know, ownership, you 
you mentioned something about that, you know, uh, in your opening, and and that's a that's a big deal as far as um, I know, as far as I'm concerned, in the, in the, the circle of people that um, that I'm around, and I know how much credit will affect your ability to own something. Can you speak to that? Going into these banks, banks first of all are in business because they make money. They have to extend, even if you buy a house. Banks don't even keep the loans of the house that you buy. They sell them to Freddie Mac, Sally mm -hmm. Mae, and all type of other people. So if you don't have the money to pay these banks, that means they can't outreach and get sources from somewhere else. If I can't use your name, I won't finance you because I don't know if I'm going to get any return back. Uh, we are living in an age of capitalism. The thing that talks is the way somebody else money if your name ain't no good i can't use you to profitize my business so i don't want your services all right so it's safe to say that uh money don't talk you know the saying money talk bullshit walk it's safe to say that money be walking a thousand miles right along with the bullshit if you don't have any credit you're going to um be in a position to make a purchase to outright. You know, I have people, my friends making $450,000 house purchases. You know, y'all see everybody going to the lot and driving off in the newest of newest. You can't do that without credit. And if you do, what are you doing, a scam? How long can you keep that up? You're a scammer, you know, after a certain age, who wants to go to jail? Bad, bad, knees bad, like, your credit is everything. It's your foundation for, um, you know, your life. Not only yours. How do you feel like uh, establishing credit? How can it help your children in the long run, Dave? It can help your children in the long run. You'll be able to establish one trend that's going on now, uh, in the black community that has become very popular is people starting businesses. Right. Granted, the pandemic had to happen and they was giving away that $10,000 for small businesses. So everybody wanted to start a business. But what it did was it sparked a flame in the black community that, hey, I can own something. I can own a business. It's the difference between owning a business and owning a hustle. A lot of people only care about having a hustle, even if you're going to get your hair done, your nails done. Growing up in the hood, where did you get your nails done out of your hair done at? If it was done by a black person, it's done in a basement or in some type of back room. Yeah. Because they're not going to the bank to say, hey, I need to own this building or I need a small business loan so I can go buy some chairs, I can go buy the products and stuff I need because the only thing, first thing they're going to think about is I'm not going to be able to get that, so I'm going to go ahead and execute this hustle. You can't pass down a hustle, but you can pass down a business. When you are creating passive income, your kids don't have to know how to do nails and hair. They just have to know how to manage the business to pay other people to do what they're not there to do. That's what you pass down to your kids. Okay, I don't know if you guys remember, I reached out to you too, because when I was retiring, I wanted to... Uh, eliminate as much as my debt as I could in order to maintain a lifestyle and uh, take a year off. So I did the wrong thing by um, paying off my accounts and closing them. Mm -hmm. You know, 
So since then, I've uh, started back building it up and opening up uh, different credit cards and everything. But the first thing that I did when I applied and I got approved, I added my daughter as an authorized user. She's 19. I've seen her credit score is higher than mine. She's 19. She's only worked at Jimmy John's for a few months. She's in college, full ride. Um, so she doesn't have, she's not collecting a lot of student loan debt. So um, I just noticed that Lola is, I'm paying my stuff off every month. It's helping her. So that's another thing that we need to look at when we're, uh, it's setting our children up for success. You know, it'll never be an issue or a reason why my child has to go and sleep with a guy or put up with something that they don't have, to, she don't have to, or be ran over or mistreated because she needs. Um, and I feel like that's a, a, a credit and making sure they have their own and there's options out there. You know, it'll it, it eliminate some of the BS that goes on or some of the um, situations that we find our young girls and boys in that ne they necessarily won't have to go in because we prepared them and we've given them the room to uh, operate and make errors and still not let it affect the rest of their lives. You bring up a great hey. point, what you're talking about is piggybacking. And what you're doing is you're allowing an opportunity to piggyback off of your experience, to piggyback off your record. As you said, as you say all the time, a show beats a tail, right? So when you are building a credit base, they want to see exactly what you are about. Uh, and, and a new credit, uh, a person newly establishing credit, they get a harder time. So with your information reflecting on her, she's able to piggyback off what you have, piggyback off your positive history in order to jumpstart what she need to have to create a better future for her. I'm glad I listened to y'all, both you and uh, Sincere gave a couple of golden nuggets to add to my toolbox and to apply it to my children and the rest of their lives. And um, I feel like these are secrets and little things that we can let are uh, other, I don't even want to say blacks, just people of minorities or people who are have to build um, from a deficit in and them these little things so that uh, we can kind of level and feel going forward. Hey, Dane, first of all, um, you you probably should get Peaches to be your PR person. She could uh she could speak to this thing pretty <laughs> pretty good. You won't even have to do nothing. You just let her answer all the questions. <laughs> Hey, what else do uh, what else do you offer though? Um, as far as your services are concerned, the best part of my services one I love is financial intelligence. Um, I have been an advocate for financial intelligence for quite some time now. Some people may even or frugal. Dad, what you may even? <laughs> I do not. Unless the return base behind the reason why I'm spending my money. Right. Growing up, we are taught that if we don't be able to show our worth, it means that we don't have any. When you are establishing credit, when you are establishing finances, a lot of people actually believe you don't have any money because you're not. Um, financial intelligence, especially when you get to ages like 50. 55 years old, you can't do the same things that you used to do. But 
if you, your name is good and you can go cat daddies with the Cadillacs. They bought them Cadillacs off credit. Right. They, they, they don't extend credit for so long. They can go in there and, and that the little the little uh, cat daddies that have had the 25 year olds, how you think they got the, the apartment in their name? They doing that off credit for years of establishing credit, years of establishing themselves, and that creates mm -hmm. space and a foundation for your life to be a lot simpler the older you get. At 55, I don't plan on working anymore. Where is my income going to come from? I'm going to mm -hmm. have to create a business to where I can create some type of passive income. And these guys, you walk into banks, they're not going to give you a $900,000 loan because they think you're cute. And with with it being, you know, so much, first of all, uh, the fact that you offer, you know what I'm saying, financial education as one of the services is 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 awesome. It shows that you're not just out here to kind of just take, 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 but give back, you know what I'm saying, as well. And that's what we need. We need a lot more of that. But when we talk about building um, something where we, where we are able to retire at 55, because that's my number as well, but a lot of people don't really think that you can or you would be able to um retire that young especially if you starting from the back right. so how how do you um how what would you say if i say if i came to you and i say hey, i want to do the same thing um what do i need to do to be able to do that i want to retire at 55. i want to piggyback off of this and i um only because a lot of i know my um followers aren't military. So take military out of there and the 20 year head start that we got. And if we were starting from the ground up, what would you tell somebody that needs wants to retire at 55 and how to start and where to go? Uh, uh, establishing credit to create a namesake for yourself. Credit starts at the very foundation of everything. So when you create passive income, that means if you own a business, business owners hire people to go to work. 45 said, I could be the dumbest person in the room. I just paid the smartest person to run my business. Mm -hmm. He had the namesake, granted his situation is different. He was born into money, but what happens when you're not born into money? You're going to need your name to actually advocate for you in rooms that you can't necessarily get into. So when your name is advocating for you, you create a base or a foundation. Um, a venture that I love to get into is real estate. When you go into a bank and you need private money, you need hard money, you need any type of uh, bank establishment or an individual to give you money, they want to see what your name is like because they want to make sure that you ain't plies. You ain't finna run off on the plug. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And they want to make sure that your name good out here in these streets. Right. We talk about that all the time in the hood, but we don't know how to apply it to corporate America. So what do you say to someone or how would you help someone who's, I did, you know, there's a lot of scamming in the black community. A lot of People scamming. About it, you know, those are the ones that's driving these fancy cars, those ones that's living in these houses. How do you help someone who has been a victim of identity theft, or even better, more like the black community, they mama and got a finger hut bill, a light bill, a cable bill, and everything, and then they before they're 18. 
how do you help these type of people? Right. Credit repair is, is ran off of using the law. It, it, everything is law based. Is if you look at the tax code, Donald Trump was able to pay seven hundred fifty dollars a month, seven hundred fifty dollars in taxes because his accountant knew the law. So when you're dealing with credit, it's the same thing. There are laws in place that say this can happen to you or things that cannot happen to you. Granted, you cannot lie about the the, the funds that you owe. People file bankruptcy all the time. In order to, for them to be able to sell the, the profits, they keep certain things on your credit report because one, it, it makes them profitable to be able to sell the debt that you owe for pennies on the dollar. When you go into uh, collections, the collections are bought in the toll. If you owe a thousand dollars, they will sell your account for five cents on a dollar. So they will sell your account for thirty dollars and then charge you a thousand dollars to pay that off. We use to we use the law in order to protect you from things that have been already paid off or already charged off of your account to get that cleared up. So when the, the credit basis that you're starting from is actually from scratch. If a person wants to restore their credit and they look at everything on their credit report, the first thing they think is, I just got to pay everything off because that's just what's on my credit report. It's a lot of things using the law where we could say, no, you charge this account off, you sold it to somebody else. So they're getting charged for the person they sold it to, and they're getting charged from the people that actually finance from. Credit restoration or credit repair is to make sure legally you're not double paying people or you're not uh, being penalized for certain inquiries or they're not selling uh, your accounts to different people and making you pay for it. Well, I had a situation that just happened to me maybe like um, um, a couple months ago. It was a medical bill. Um, you know, I recently retired, so we've never had to worry about a copay or anything. You know, everything was good to go. I went to a, a doctor. I, apparently, I had a copay. I went to them three times and I moved. So, what happened was I checked my credit report and my score was down 45 points. Like, yikes. You know, Come to find, I, I did, I did a little digging, and um, I ended up asking for, sent a letter out for a verification of debt. Come to find out, they had my old address, so they never served me with a, a, a notification of debt. So I come, reported them to the consumer finance company and told them that they never, uh, I never, I didn't know what a debt. I never received the notification, and it was ultimately within three weeks. It, it's gone. They don't, even though it was a debt that I owed and I paid it, um, it's not reported on my credit report at all. Right. They, they and a lot of these companies do that because they yeah. want to make. Right, we got a good question right here. Lamar asks, "What's the best way to obtain business credit as a new business owner?" Get credit cards, business credit cards. I have a couple credit cards uh, under my business. Uh, and I actually use those credit cards for my business and I pay them off. Business credit work exactly the same as you do with regular credit. Using credit cards is an amazing thing. You can go into a bank and take out loans under your business name in order to pay to be able to show that you are able to maintain and establish your credit. Definitely use business credit cards and business loans. Okay, so I have a question. 
uh, go off of that. Um, now, when you do establish business credit or open up an account um, under your business, does it attach to your uh, personal credit? And if so, how can you prevent that? Especially how do you and how do you get a loan if your bit your personal credit is not so uh, great? The business credit does not attach to your personal credit. It's two different entities. Um, when when people apply for things in a business, it's deliberately kept away from you as a person because if someone tries to sue the business, you're on a different accord and you're not being able to be attacked under that. That's one of the major parts of having a business. But you have to make sure you got you have to make sure your business is not listed to your social security number. Yeah, because I, you know, I recently started a new business and we we have me and my dude and we have um, business oh, separate uh, bank. We go to Bank of America. We've established a Dunn's number and everything else. Um, how exactly do you know? Because I I have good credit, so I didn't. Um, I while I did get a. Um, a credit card for my company i think that it was i can't i could see a query on my regular account as well like you know i got the notification well i got two one of them was blocked and the other one um i didn't have my um my uh equifax account i didn't have the um the block on there so that they couldn't pull it out and um i could see where it hit my personal credit as well before we were uh granted the line of credit when you open up a business account that goes strictly off of your name okay because i used the ei i have an ein we have a don's number we established you know so and i was just wondering if it was a way around that for uh black black or minorities or anybody who want to uh get a business off the ground um because we can talk about these ten thousand dollar loans but let's be clear if you owe a student loan or you owe the federal government or you owe some taxes uh they're not going to extend that uh credit to you so you know while some people just never use credit they didn't know they didn't they it was they were shooing and that's how they got around the system and that's how we received a lot of fraud but some some people who have um you know went to school tried to establish themselves fell behind on student loans or in uh different things and that attached to them how do you get how do you get ahead of that how do you get ahead of the of the, the fact of if someone being able to attack you personally through your business okay so, so for instance okay i went on deployment um well when i deployed black back in 2010 a lot of you guys don't notice i went to college i'm in the navy because i went to college first right so um i was on deployment and when a, my, my student loan fell behind i didn't i once I sent in the paperwork, uh, they never fixed it. So when we was getting this business off the ground and I applied for one of the SBA loans, it came back and was like, you know, you, you're not approved because at one point you owe back um, student loan. So I had to go in and uh, even though I ended, we ended up not needing it, but I had to go in and get that fixed on my credit as well. Hey, I was deployed and it took a lot. I had to send me, you know, email, make a letter of uh, 
deployment and everything just to get them to fix that so that now that going forward we qualify for those type of loans but is it a way around that if you you know that your credit is less than perfect it depends on the bank that you're applying in to get your account as i said it's a difference between having a hustle and actually having a business Mm -hmm. Sometimes people run into them roadblocks where they <laughs> no, just the, the, the bank's not going to approve me because my credit ain't no good. My credit ain't where I, I need my credit to be. So first of all, it starts to create a business. It starts with your credit and who you are. If you're not trustworthy, according to credit scores, your, the bank won't look at your business as being trustworthy. So wow. it's two different things. Your business, once you start that, you start it under an entity. There's a certain protection clause from your business and you personally. But right. in order to get that off the ground, you got to start from square one first. Okay. And you got to make sure that you, when you walk into a bank or you actually talk to an establishment, they know who are you they're talking to when they go to them back offices and they looking to get an approval for a certain thing. Okay, that makes sense. So pretty much make sure you, you know, you have a plan going forward, you know, so you can do a business plan. I've taken the classes, you know, I did the week long class that the uh, Department of Veteran Affairs offers through Small Business Association, you know, everything that we needed in order to do it. What's the difference between opening an account in a credit union compared to a bank like Wells Fargo or slash Bank of America? Yeah, what is it? Because I have both. That's a good question. The yeah. more on it. The difference in a credit union versus uh, it really all depends on the bank. Now you have large corporational banks, Bank of America, Wells Fargo. Then you have uh, local banks, and you have neighborhood banks. Mm -hmm. So credit unions are mostly lower scale banks for the communities the pncs they haven't made it to that large corporate america type of bank credit report credit does not deal with the fact of it's a credit union or whether it's an actual uh large scale bank but it just depends on the scale the credit unions are of a lower standard and they can do things that uh, regular banks can't do because their namesake. But uh, opening a, a credit union versus a Bank of America is that's that doesn't really have anything to do with credit. SEC SEC regulations got got a lot to do with the um, with the ability or the difference in ability between a corporate bank and a credit union as well. So do you get a better rate with a credit union? I found that I did, but it, it was, um, I thought that it was a better rate because they knew that that was where my direct deposit went and everything, you know, and everything. So when I went to buy a car, you know, of course we went with the, uh, the check in hand that you just had to write the um, amount it. But in addition, I um, realized that when you search up a credit, if it's all the same amount of time, it doesn't weigh on your credit as much. So um, I went to go and see what Lexus had or what 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 interest rate they would get me when I was you know you, and you I found that the the credit union had all they had solidified the deal like it was stepped you know 
to kind of explain that to a better degree, when you're shopping for a car, or you're shopping for houses, that's rate shopping. You're yes. going to get a better deal. You're going to get a better rate at a credit union because, as I said before, larger banks like Bank of America or uh, Chase, they sell your contract to other people outside of their bank. Okay. So if you are not marketable in order to be able to sell your contract outside of their bank, they're not going to finance with you. When you're doing smaller banks, banks make money off of the contracts as they write. So uh, they're going to give you a better rate at smaller banks, community banks and credit unions and stuff like that, because the banks make money based off the interest they have from the money that they invest in you to pay something. It, it, it kind of touched the credit spectrum, but only a little bit. Uh, and as I said, capitalism is how much somebody can profit off of, the, off of your name. So larger banks, it's harder to get financed for things because they got to sell whoever they selling your contract to, to somebody else. And they bring up the fact of your credit report. A lot of uh, important thing in regards to inquiries, a lot of people don't know. You have 30 days to, to rate shop, right? Between 14 and 30 days. It was 14, but because of COVID, they switched things around a little bit. So between 14 and 30 days, you can run your credit for a car or a house as many times as it needs to get to get done because they're rate shopping and you can only be charged one inquiry for that purpose. Okay, everybody, you know, um, Damon Thomas, uh, he's been pinned on here. If you guys want any more information, you guys can contact him directly. He can point you in the di right direction, mentor you, guide you in, um, offering you a service um that is personalized and to get you where you need to be but next we're going to go on into his next uh thing of course he's the jack of all trades he's, his degree is in psychology and we have someone that's waiting that's like a um godsend for us so we're going to move on over to the next topic with topic which is called mental what will we be addressing mental health and mental health in our society dr jones how are you doing, good sir? You're on mute. Let me try this again. I'm doing well. Thank you all. <laughs> <laughs> all right, good. Let's um, let's make an attempt to move quickly. I understand you're under a strict timeline, uh, so let's get let's let's get right into it, man. Um, mental health. I know you've done a lot of research in the area. Um, Shonda is particularly uh, Peaches is particularly interested in uh, the research that you did for prisons and, and the PTSD that comes along with that. Can you uh, speak to us a little bit about that? Um, so I did a, a um, research on the mental and emotional cost of incarceration because it had never truly been examined from the lens of psychology. Um, most times when people think about the cost of incarceration, it's from a fiscal standpoint, but long after those individuals come home, they are still stuck dealing with the reality of what their time behind the wall has caused them. Mm -hmm. And my position is that if the state um, or federal government um, is responsible for feeding, housing and providing medical care, then they also have an obligation to um, have resources available once these individuals come home to address whatever they dealt with a witness when they were inside. 
because of the way that trauma works is it doesn't bother us when we're in it that fight but once we're no longer once we've been removed from that that's when those things begin to creep up on us and you know for the general public they look at it as oh you must like it in here without recognizing that these people have been traumatized and the way that they're going to respond is going to be much different than the average you know um, citizen so that's a push for the Florida House of Representatives um, to try to allocate funds specifically for mental health and general counseling for um, ex-offenders. Um, um, you know how we out of the jail. Somebody, is somebody listening to the to the show while while we on? I don't know. Who did they? So um, back in 2007, my brother was in the system uh, where up in um, Northeast Ohio, they were getting paid to send these little, these uh, younger minorities to jail, you know, and still to this day, it's 2020, I still um, can tell that something happened to him where he's not the person that he were was prior to that. How do you think that? Um, how do you think that the privatizing and these judges taking payoffs and everything has increased or um, or made a, a a bigger impact on the mental health of the black men or women that was um, jailed? So when it comes to um, privatized prison and just the prison system in general, most of those individuals aren't um, highly educated and they're not required to be. Because mm -hmm. what happens is I can get you to be a guard. For example, um, in the state of Florida, we have the uh, one of the biggest rates of incarceration in the entire nation. But we also have the cheapest at $19,000 per inmate. So what that suggests is that there's no real quality of care being given to these inmates, even though there is um, $2.3 billion allocated annually to the Department of Corrections. Mm -hmm. So you're not paying anything to house these people at all. And the individuals who are in those facilities, they are often, you know, they're doing what they got to do to get through their shifts, but they're also working on behalf of the inmates. So they are partially responsible for some of the trauma that's taking place within those facilities. Um, so in regards to whether it's a, a state run or privatized um, jail, it's going to be the same way. And the difference is once if I buy a prison, then basically the state um, farms me out. Well, not farm me out, but farm the individuals out. Um, because what happens, you can commit a, a crime here in the state of Florida, but if my private prison is in Wyoming, which makes it difficult for family and anybody to get to those people, once the guards see that nobody is coming to visit those individuals, those become the most neglected and abused inmates at that point. That's why it's so important for their family contact to be present because it shows the, the administrators that, hey, there is somebody out here that may be concerned if something happens to this particular individual. Okay. I got a question okay. about um, just the overall stigma of mental health in our community. 
um, where, where do you think that's uh, bred from and what do you think we can do to improve our outlook on mental health and, and the fact that more than half of us probably need it? Great question. I think that one of the things that we can do, we can remove the, the, the whitewash of mental health and we can begin to look and utilize emotional wellness. Because when anybody hears mental health, the first thing that's associated is somebody being crazy without realizing that um, if you say emotional wellness, which is no different than being physically healthy or um, we talk about financial wellness. So it takes that sting off. And we've also arrived to a place to where there's been a multitude of conversations about um, the stigma. The, the stigmas with mental health in the black community. So I believe it's time for us to move it from a conversation to people actually being on the seat in um, clinical offices, because that's where the real work starts. And when you consider that one out of five adults in this country um, has a mental health. So that's 51.5 million people who have been clinically diagnosed with some type of mental health. Now, the reality is only um, 44% of those people, which would be 2.3, well, excuse me, 23 million, um, are actually being treated for it. So most folks who have been treated, I mean, have been diagnosed, they're not even getting treated. And then you have the other individuals who don't even recognize that they have it. They are in denial. Um, and it, it could be due to um, a lack of insurance, just ain't nobody going to tell me I'm crazy or anything else. But the reality is this. A person like myself is three of you on this, this screen. In the amount of time that we've been on this call, because I'm trained, I can diagnose every last one of y'all with something. Right? And that's, the, that's a part of the problem. Because... A lot of times in our community, we are over-diagnosed. But if you take a person who has um, marital problems, for example, in order to come and sit down on our couch, you're going to be given some type of diagnosis. The only difference is um, you don't know it because, you know, it's just like, oh, I have insurance, so I don't have to worry about paying. Um, I just got to pay my little copay, but I got insurance. Well, in order for that insurance provider to cut meal check, you're going to get a diagnosis. Go ahead, Dave. I think you made a, a lot of great points. Uh, one thing that I think people need to understand about psychology is it was born in a heart of bigotry. If you think of all the most famous psychologists, they're all was born under the context of black or african-americans being inferior to whites that's just how far back psychology goes how is important is it for us in our community to fix us when we was growing up we was talked about if you said anything about psychology you're crazy go to church the lord is the only person that can fix you mm -hmm. how is important is it for us to get an understanding get educated on psychology to have more African-American psychologists to actually fix us because of big pharma and big pharma only really give a damn about making a dollar. 
Yeah. African-American kids and Hispanic kids are diagnosed with ADHD, uh, ADD, which now is ADHD, uh, in order to make a dollar. So they putting us on these medications that are laced with products of cocaine, messing our kids up, sending our kids to prison because our kids' mentality has been changed so much by using these drugs. Because when we send these guys to white therapists, they don't know how to handle African-American children. When I went to Japan, my son was diagnosed with ADHD because his teacher was Japanese and she wasn't used to the African-American culture. I, no, no, ma'am. My son is not taking no medication. It ain't nothing wrong with my son. If you go to any of these schools and you have the older black teachers, oh, they gonna get your kids in line. Well, let, let me let, let me address some of what you just said. And this is why I would pose to any of you on here and just get us real consideration. Have you ever gone to a doctor um, for any type of blood work and were given a chemical balance test? No, no. Are y'all stuck? No, 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 no. <laughs> okay, okay. Because everybody looked, they was froze. So, <laughs> so I posed that question um, just to get the wheels in your heads to turn it. If you've never gone to a doctor and had a chemical balance test, how can you have a chemical imbalance? Right. Because first, I will have to make sure that you're balanced before I say that you're imbalanced. Right. But most of us don't think that we don't look at it that deep because we've been told our entire lives that, oh, well, they say he or she or I have a chemical imbalance. But nobody can ever tell me when they've actually had a chemical balance test. That's a that's a that's a very good point. Uh, Lamar is with us tonight and uh, he got a question. How can the police be better equipped to deal with handling a person with mental health issues? That's a good question. That's a great question. So in Houston, they have a mental health um, unit with their police department where these individuals um, are trained by clinical professionals on how to deal with and decriminalize mental health. So they go, they address whatever second place with that individual ask them the appropriate questions and they don't take them to jail. They don't put them in handcuffs. They actually take them to a treatment facility. And I think that that should be something or, or something that should become a standard across the country because go ahead, Peaches. Um, what you're saying. However, we got to look at it like the government in order to put that in place it's going to cost money that they don't want to spend or they don't feel like we're worth so how do you get around that how do i get around that or how does society society you have two best-selling books so you know i want to hit you with uh questions that nobody will probably ask in the hopes that it'll turn some wheels in somebody else's head to uh, get them to match to get the gas on whatever needs to happen. So here's what I believe. I would love to see a, a, a new generation of black psychologists, males in particular, right? Because this is so saturated with white men and white women who have the privilege to diagnose people that look like me and our children. 
because there's no magic pill that you can give anybody that makes them pay attention. So the whole ADHD, ADD, I can't give you a pill and that pill all of a sudden is going to make you pay attention. Right. But we have to be better educated. <laughs> I definitely, I last year and I talked to my psychiatrist and she gave me something called concert so that I've not got straight A's. So what caused it? It wasn't a mind frame that I've taken this pill so I can, I can excel and I can do better and I can pay attention or was it something that was in there that caused me to take interest in stuff that I didn't really care about and um, excel straight A's? Are you talking about yourself? I'm talking about myself. Okay, so so what you have to realize is that with all of that medication, after a while, your body becomes dependent, your brain becomes dependent. So you begin to believe and accept that, oh, I'm getting better. And if I don't take this medication, now there are with psychotropic medications, it's a very tricky and dangerous game that's played, right? So you take this medication, oh, I feel better. Because you have to think about this, Peaches. You go, you sit down with a, a psychiatrist in a, in a matter of about 15 minutes of talking to you. They are telling you that you need medication. That's their job. They don't focus on psychotherapy. They don't focus on talk therapy. It's the medication management portion of it. And then they say, OK, well, and you tell them, well, um, you know, I'm not sleeping good or my appetite is off. But we'll change the milligrams or we'll try this one. So it's all experimental. And I'm getting ready to tell um, you all something that most people in my seat wouldn't. There has never been one diagnosis in the history that psychiatry has ever cured. We continue to add to mental health, but there's never been one that has been cured. Yeah, I, I, now, now, now that I don't take anything, like I still get straight A's, but... I, that's what I'm saying. Do you think that they sold me on something because I thought that I was taking this pill and it was gonna, it was like a, the magical fairy dust that did something that nothing else did. And so that I stuck with that and then I excelled when I could have done it by myself. Uh, real, real, real quick, medicine in a lot of ways is a placebo. So a lot of times these people that diagnose you with things when they do actual studies, they only keep the positive results from these studies and they get rid of the negative results so they can publish the positive results. When they write the DSM, we're in DSM-5 right now, it's a panel of psychologists that come together and vote on what they feel like is the most important, not important. So we, as we said before, black people respect signs. So if somebody tell you, hey, if you take this pill, it will do X, Y, Z, create that placebo in your mind, you will believe it and be like, look, y'all, it works. That's the whole position of medicine when you're dealing with mental health is to present that placebo because Big Pharma is a multi-billion dollar corporation. And like, oh, yeah. they ain't yeah. really there to try to do no CBT, no cognitive behavior, talk therapy. They really want to just... The, the medication, it's, medication. it's just all about the medication. And, and here's something for, for veterans to consider. Paxil and Zoloft have been the standard approaches to treat PTSD. But both of those have increasingly high rates of suicide. You know how we do this 22 veteran push-up? Most veterans, 
that have committed suicide were on those medications. Why? It's all, it's all about the mental. I'm sorry. I mean, if, that's something that's made known, or um, you know, there should be. I remember seeing that if you were on Paxil or you know somebody was on Paxil, you might be entitled to monetary val, you know, settlement for such as blase this or blase that. But I haven't seen it for Zoloft, but I know that's like the next go-to thing because for us with veterans, you know, a lot of us, we just in it for a disability, you know, so they died. Um, and you don't have medicine, but it's, it's still going to get things. So they can't even. I'm thinking about it. Even cut out. Hold on, PJ. Hold on, PJ. Hey, CJ. Yes, sir. Your, uh, you, I you have nothing on. Well, I don't have. I don't have anything on. Muted, then. Okay, so my thing is now that I'm thinking about it, um, they can't even give you um, any real numbers or anything because you don't know once a, a patient leaves out of your room whether they're they're taking the medicine or not. Mm. You know, so, especially if you're going by the military because they're going to go in there and tell you been Googled it, looked it up and can tell you everything that you need to know so you Write them notes and write another prescription because they're gonna get paid at the end of the day. And I, when you think about it, um, there's a lot of the social security people, people who are on getting a social security check due to a mental health disability and everything. Like, a, I feel like it's no way to really gather the the information or the science behind it to, you know, take that what what is written in them MS whatever fives or whatever as gospel because. They, they they have no plain proof unless they put somebody in a uh lock them up and monitor their every move. They, what? At another because they're not living free. So of course it's gonna tailor or they're gonna do what they need to do to get out of there. Well that's where it gets tricky and when we talk about it from a black perspective, I have black parents, um black people who come to me and they want a diagnosis so they can get SSI or so that they can get more from the VA, right? Um, because you're looking at it as a come up rather than becoming a statistic, rather than looking right. at becoming a permanent guinea pig. And you're mm -hmm. pimping, in, in some ways, we're pimping ourselves out, we're pimping our kids out um, for the 504s and every that little money that comes along with it without realizing the long-term effect because ultimately what happens once you have been given a clinical diagnosis that thing sticks with you for the rest of your life and with certain jobs um you go to apply do you have a mental health no and they they find out now you're disqualified so right. some of this responsibility belongs to us we have to be better educated and also be prepared to do the work because with therapy, you can't just um, you can't just come in today to see me and have a and I give you a plan of action, but suddenly you know I don't see you again for a month and a half, and you expect to see some type of progress. So white folks pay; they have no problem. They come in faithfully. We look for reasons where okay things in our relationship has gotten a little better. Um, or 
I'm in a happy mood, my, you know, whatever, without understanding, you have to be prepared to do the work that's necessary because number one, there's not a lot of us in this field anyway. And when you find them and they are trying to be transparent because I make it a priority to tell anybody to walk through my doors, I do, I'm an out of network provider, intentional, because I refuse to let big pharmaceutical tell me that I have to give people that look like me a diagnosis just to get paid. Hey, before, right? I, uh, before I talk about um, Peaches and this limitless pill she, she took, um, Lamar got another question. He asked, what's your thoughts on people using and or CBD to medicate? What's your, uh, what's your thoughts on that? Um, honestly, I do not oppose it. Um, but what I would certainly say, you got to make sure that you understand that you talk to um, a registered dietitian. You talk to your PCM before you just decide to, to do that for yourself because there's other elements that can still be affected. And if you're buying this stuff and it from someplace that's not regulated, then it becomes dangerous. And right now, CBD shops are popping up everywhere. Um, especially out West, but what most folks don't understand that those things have not been regulated. There's no oversight and anybody can stick anything on the shelf and it's no different than the mess that you bought on the street back in the day that somebody had laced. So approach it with talking, caution. You talking about marijuana? Yes. So okay, my I got question is, go ahead. I, I've been questioning. So. <laughs> uh, I, got, I got one question that kind of it piggybacks on what Dane was talking about earlier, um, and that is how real is, is the school to prison pipeline when we're talking about mental health? It is extremely real because what happens is the moment that you allow them to give your child that diagnosis of ADHD, opposition defiant, any of those things, what happens is they begin to get in trouble in school. The schools say, hey, we can't do anything with them. Right. So then they referred it out to a juvenile um, justice um, court. Now that court says, well, we tried to put you in a turner school. We tried to put you into the, or this child into all of these different programs. The only thing we can do now is put them into the Department of Juvenile Justice. And that's where the trap begins, because one thing that people don't realize that when you're doing a, a, a clinical diagnosis of any kind, you have to meet certain criteria in order for, and it's evidenced by whatever. When it comes to ADHD, and it's that list is so long. Everything else is short, but for, they made that list so long that you can say, okay, they meet criteria here, 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 and here. And now your child has that, you know, to follow them for the rest of their days. All because somebody didn't take the time to really try to understand whether that child was really gifted or if it was something else going on where that child needed some resources um, at home. But they do that with our children because they figure that we're ignorant and we're not going to know any better. We're not going to ask the right questions or we're going to get emotional and they're going to be able to document that and say that where the problem lies. Um, how um, in an African-American community do we get the word out? Because you know it's not very many of us that are in the field of psychology. But psychology is starting to get 
a a, a, a runner to, or a buzz guys like metal world peace charlemagne they talk about mental health a lot now how do we get involved in these communities and get involved because emotionally we are emotional people and our church come first so how do we get involved within a community for a psychology basis in order to understand that mental health is real we gonna fix it with jesus but we gonna use the tools that jesus gave us in order to fix it as far as with our minds so they there are more and more workshops popping up around the country um where providers are giving back by trying to educate um i know i've done several here in jacksonville and what the public can do is simply take advantage of it come ask questions learn the information that you know they need to know to make an informed decision um because this you can't just do a quick google search and and diagnose yourself or anybody else and we have a real problem with that oh this i'm bipolar they told me this who who is they what are their credentials <laughs> right that's not what's wrong with you or the fact is there is something wrong with you because we have generational trauma and that's something that isn't spoken of enough when it comes to us. Emotions are a horrible advisor. We are not emotionally, uh, we don't regulate our emotions enough. We allow people to get under our skin and they made me do this. So they, they made me curse them out or any of that foolishness without understanding that with emotional intelligence, you can still be present with whatever's going on, but not lose yourself in the process by getting all upset. But then again, most of us aren't even familiar with what emotions are. And I'm gonna do this real quick with you guys. Have you ever heard somebody say, I feel like, I feel like you don't like me, or I feel like, yeah. Right? yeah. It's like an emotion. No. No, don't even, don't y'all even waste y'all brain cells trying to, 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 like it's not an emotion. And what I empower people with, anytime that you say, I feel, put an actual emotion, connect, connect an emotion to it. I feel hurt. I feel disappointed. I feel excited because now your message is very clear for the other person to understand. But if you're doing all this, well, I feel like this and I feel I understand what you like, but that's not telling me anything about what you feel, right? And if we teach our kids that early on, the difference that that can make when they're communicating with anybody. Mm -hmm. I'm glad you said that. Uh-oh. Where you go? He, this, this y'all made him mad. mad. He, he, he said something. Mark it there. off on there. You know what I'm saying? He left us. No, he froze. What did you say? I said that's a um that's a great way to segue because I was going to ask again, um, not again, but how does uh mental health affect our relationships, especially uh as adults from trauma that we may have sustained as adolescents or even younger? Well, one way that it affects it is that um we expect for our significant other to be um, where we offload everything at. And that's not their position, right? Um, so when you're dealing with unresolved 
um, mental health. And in, a, in the black community, and this goes back just a little bit with the church stuff, just because we suppress doesn't mean that we've addressed. Right. I dealt with a lot. I bottled it up. You know what I mean? Like, I'm good. I've been through too much. Well, if you haven't addressed it, it's going to find a way to manifest itself. Right. So, and it's going to follow you from relationship to relationship, from city to city, the same behavior. Most people can tell you everything that their ex did wrong, or all their exes did wrong. Way she was this, and he was that, and the one before him was this, but they can't tell you what role they played because it's harder to look at self and to really understand that I need to address some things from my past. If not, they're going to stay in my present and they're going to affect my future. So in the relationship, when you have somebody, for example, who um, may has bipolar, that is going to be one complicated relationship or any mood disorder for that matter. If the person um, is depressed, has a history of clinical depression, that's going to be challenging on that on the mate. So regardless if it's a mood disorder, um, anxiety, or this person has a history of panic attacks or any of those things, the average individual isn't conditioned to deal with those things. I can hear all kind of stuff in a day, but I know how to compartmentalize. I don't take it personal. I don't make it personal. But in that relationship, your mate will because they're hearing you vent and lay everything out. And it's just like, well, how can I how can I help them? But they're, they're not supposed to have those answers. So the best thing that I will say for any couple to do is seek out professional help. If you you know recognize that there's something going on with your mate um, that's destroying the relationship as well. I'm Go ahead. Okay, so um, we just did a, this big uh, dive in as to, you know, not allowing someone to diagnose us. And then we go to the point where, hey, this is messed up. Something isn't right. You know, we need to seek counseling. Like, how do you, what's the equal media, um, medium, like the middle? How do you meet in the middle and... I allow somebody to misdiagnose you, but uh, diagnose you at the same time. It's just, it's just, it's a lot. Yeah. I'm not sure what you heard, Peaches, so let me offer some clarity. Um, so I was saying from the relationship standpoint, now if there's something that's actually taking place with you, yes, go get that professional help. And if you agree, because for example, if I sit down and I talk to you and I tell you, well, hey, Peaches, based off of what you've told me, based off of my, my knowledge in the field and what I'm seeing, here's what, and I'm going to show it to you, okay. right? You meet these following criteria. Mm -hmm. At that point, you can either deny that diagnosis or you can say, wow, I thank you because I didn't know what was going on with me. Yeah, but, but I... I talking about kids how they was like there's no such thing adhd out of this and this don't once they get that 504 or this diagnosis it's it's with them for the rest of their lives and how do you tell like where to draw the line like ain't nothing wrong with them or wait a minute maybe it is so you, you do the same way that you would with an estimate for your your house or anything else 
Mm-hmm. When, especially when it comes to a diagnosis, I don't tell anybody, there's nothing wrong with going and getting a second and third opinion. But it's not your place to decide whether there's something wrong with this child or if there's not, because you're not qualified to make that type of assessment. Okay. Yeah. And, and we also got to be mindful that anything that we have a relationship with, we are going to be extremely protective of. So because, you know, the whole world see that your child is acting a certain way. No, ain't nothing wrong, my baby. Boom, 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 whatever. That's the wrong approach to take. <laughs> right? Let me get this boy in front of somebody. Let, let me see what's going on. Hey, you, you mentioned before about emotional intelligence. Uh, mm-hmm. A huge fan of emotional intelligence. Uh, when we are speaking about relationships, whether it's relationship with your kids, whether it's relationship with your mate or a friend, how important is it to have emotional check-in, mentally emotional check-ins with the individuals that you deal with before it gets to the fact of running to the clinic? So thank you for that question. Um, so what I recommend for all couples to do is do an emotional check-in daily. And what that looks like is you're just simply asking your mate, what do they need from you? For example, they may tell you, I need compassion. I need patience. I need understanding, right? That gives you an opportunity to know exactly where they're at at that moment. That way you can sit down with them and they may tell you, hey, I had a really bad day or today I just feel overwhelmed. Now, it's not your 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 position to play Dr. Field or Dr. Jones, anybody else. You just need to be present to listen. But doing an emotional check in is something I do every day with my wife. Hey, how, it, what's going on? How you feeling? But what if like oftentimes, you know, we come from different backgrounds and Something that might be emotionally draining and upsetting some person and might be stupid to you. Like you're looking like, oh, bitch, go get shut your ass up and go take a shower. You know, like how do you, um, you do? Do we pretend? Because it's like some stuff I can't relate to because we've been through so much and so much changes, different avenues in our life that something that might be significant to somebody else to be small like really or and you you about to cry like how do you take that out of there because it's like i'd be looking like i know you gonna cry you better not cry you know how do you do that <laughs> what happens is to be honest at that point you're becoming disrespectful toward their feelings your role is only to honor their feelings where they're at you don't have to understand it it's just you being present to to listen to whatever it is that they're talking about and to us it could be petty it could be stupid it could be like look man i've been through a whole lot like so this ain't i have people like that in my office who i'm in my mind it's just like oh okay this this is the worst thing to happen to you but i also understand the importance of being able to respect other people because two things that we can't contradict i can't contradict your thoughts nor your feelings. So if you tell me you feel a certain way and you tell me you think something, it's not my role to say, no, you can't possibly be thinking that or you can't feel that way. I can act like, do we pretend 
or you know like i've had situations and i've had to go through stuff with sex we are prior military all of us well dave's still military but me and him we've had satan's come to us on the brink of uh destruction and it'll be something like oh i'm thinking oh my god i'm rushing i'm scared they're gonna kill themselves and then when they tell me what's wrong you gotta play mama or play pretend or pretend to have empathy or whatever when it's really like you know nothing and then you have to go and sell it to somebody that probably looking at it like you hey this is what's going on with the sailor daughter this and that they can't you know and you know they ready to send them up and punish them they not getting up and coming to work because such such it is and it's like you you can't relate so at what point how do you switch you know switch it off like I, i'll show it i'll be you know mama bear to a certain point but i ain't about to cry with you because i i can't you know well, well here's the thing we, we we've all been in the military i was in the military for 17 years uh, me and mark was stationed at several places together so what i would certainly say the military is a system the military doesn't care about its people it just cares about the process of getting whatever accomplished right so in fact the navy got some stupid saying um navy first sailors always i think peach is still talking i'm not sure but so <laughs> so we, we have to take the military component out of it because if not we become so insensitive in our personal lives because we dealt with that for decades of you know all of that mess but to be back real time and present with the people that's in our lives whatever his experiences are whatever your experiences are all you can do is be a listening ear at that moment not judgmental not okay dude when are you gonna quit talking about this you've been you've been crying about it right because that's a part of what we heard for years and years, somebody being sensitive and whining about something. So you just gotta be present with, with that other person. Let them say what they gotta say. And then you don't have to agree um, or add anything to it. It's just like, okay, right? And they may say, thank you for listening. Uh, here's, a, here's another great point where we could uh, segue into um, not just the fact that uh you have uh credentials as far as your mental health practice is concerned but also uh extend the congratulations and uh to briefly go over your um two best-selling books both in the same year uh one of them which also did go over relationships uh that i had myself and i thought it was a good read um talk to us about how that happened and, and you know how things have been going since well, uh, thank you so much for that. Um, so the power of marketing you yesterday hit over 20,000 copies sold, um, which is awesome. And and the power, excuse me, growing as a couple has hit over 11,000 copies sold. And that's in the midst of a pandemic. The way that I came about doing both of those books, because I see a lot of couples in my practice and they don't have basic information to strengthen their relationships. Um, everybody to come through our doors a lot of times they believe that their problem is communication so when i'm talking to them i give them a couple minutes say oh no your problem ain't communication and the reason i know it's not communication because you're communicating with me exactly what you don't like about your mate right 
And then I began to show them the importance of removing that we having communications because most couples actually have a respect problem, a disrespect. They don't respect the other person enough to be patient enough to value what they have to say, um, their experiences, or to actually try to grow with them. So, the, and growing as a couple, I go over um, some real important things um, in terms of creating a couple system and helping couples to understand that these are things that you can continue to do. And what makes it different is it's not from somebody who doesn't deal with couples and who doesn't understand um, how you can help people to get back to a healthy place in their relationship. Because most relationships book, no disrespect to anybody else, they're crap. Because those people don't have the substance um, to, to really be out here calling themselves relationship experts or whatever it is these days that they're doing. And and the power of marketing you um, using psychology, um, well, the power of marketing you, uh, the, the psychology of using self-confidence. A lot of times people don't know how to talk to talk about themselves. We have been conditioned, not just in our community, but just as a culture um, in America, not to not to speak too highly of yourself. We, and the Bible reminds you of that all the time about pride, right? But if you can't talk to me about yourself, then why should I have any interest in what you have to offer? Most people don't know who they are. And I'm show you, I'm show you right now an example of this. I want each of you to just take to take 30 seconds and tell me who you are. It's like right <laughs> no, I, I, I just knew Peaches was about to hop right on. No, I can write y'all's and describe you all, but I can't describe me. And me and him just had this conversation when we were trying to uh, do the Black Business of the Week thing. And we both said, hey, we didn't want to spotlight ourselves because we didn't want to uh, feel like we're tooting our own horn. Right. And just reiterated that we don't talk about ourselves or whatever, but it's like, you kind of get mixed mix, uh, reactions from that. You know, like, oh, they doing this and they doing that and they do, oh, they think they all that, or, you know, they can't relate to us because they up here and we up here, you know, like we didn't come up from the same struggle. We didn't start with the same, you know, deck of cards as someone else. Right, yeah, I mean, in all honesty, I don't know how to answer that question. And the reason why I don't know how to answer it is for one, I don't, I don't know the context that I'm speaking to, and um, two, I, I would largely, I, I would probably say I, I identify myself more um, with how my family sees me than anything else. I, I can definitely answer that question. Go ahead. Going on social media, that's for damn sure. Okay. Um, but. I am a broken man that's trying to redefine who he is. The older I get, I understand that I have to turn different channels in order to discover who I am or what I will require people to do in order to how to treat me. Uh, for a long time, I have been the strongest person within my family and I carry a, a large load of 
being that I'm from, uh, uh, I have five other siblings. I am the most successful at this time. I have to behave in a certain aspect or do a certain thing. Somewhere along the line, I lost who I am. I, I, I put up this mask and this wall to where I forget what is required in order for how I feel people should treat me. Okay. So now when we speaking about relationships, I want to ask you from a psychology basis because this happened a lot and it's a very big scale. Hey, hold, on, you- hold on for a minute, Dave. Hold All on, right. Dave. Hey, um, uh, Dr. J, everything um, Dave just said, that's my answer. Okay. <laughs> well, well, let, well, let me tell you, let me, let me tell you, thank you a lot for the information, but that's not, you told me what you are. Right. You didn't tell me who you are. See, who we are is at the core of our existence. What we are are all of these different adjectives that we add to us. Mark, you said that my I'm defined by what my family sees me as. That has nothing to do with who you are. That's what you are. You're a father, you're a husband, right? And we get stuck in that. So we end up spending a lifetime doing things not based off of our purpose, but as a part of a plan. Well, give us like we to that because maybe we took it out of context. You, you, you all did absolutely what everybody else who I posed that question. I've asked this question to hundreds of people. People always tell me what they are, but they don't tell me who they are. So, who I am at the core of my existence is a man that's driven with a need to help other people with complex issues. So regardless of what role I fulfill in life, that's always going to be what I'm doing because it lines up with my purpose. I didn't say I was a psychologist. I didn't say I was a best-selling author. I didn't say any of those other things, right? Because with your purpose, you will always be able to, to make a profit. But if you are just going by what other people told you that you're supposed to be or what you're supposed to identify yourself as, then you lose yourself in the process. So we end up, you know, just chasing our tails in a sense. Um, well, where, where do you, but where does that, because I do consider, um, you know, my myself to be multifaceted, but I would say at the core of everything is I am a people person. I'm a person that likes to help and I love to help people, period. You know, and, 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 now that you think now that you know you say that it's because of like dame said uh you know he's probably the the it sounded like the same person as far as who i am in my in my family the the oldest of 10 kids you know you you just happen to be the one that's that's doing you know the best but you don't necessarily see like i don't think it's because i'm doing something that's just that yo nobody else can do this i i think i'm just you know what i'm saying i'm just going about the daily you know grind i i'm i'm a i'm, I'm a, a, a husband i try to do you know do the best of that you know what i'm saying that i that i can i'm a father i try to do the best you know what i'm saying that but it's all all of that revolves around me giving back even to a point of exhaustion and that's kind of what i said um I'm going through a bit of reconstruction because the person that I thought I was was the savior of my family's namesake. 
I thought coming from a broken home, it was my responsibility to save the name of my family. So I went out to create myself as to be the person that is going to create a legacy, create a change under the namesake in which I was born. I thought that was my purpose. I thought that's who I was. But all that has become to me is a burden that I shouldn't have to carry. So now I have to redefine who I am based off of what my real purpose is and who I am because I spent almost 40 years thinking that I had to carry a load that wasn't my responsibility. Hmm. Um, now, now, huh? Sometimes we don't get to pick that. You know, we're thrown into that role and we have to evolve and grow from that. Like even to today, like my mama say, oh, she the child that I don't have to worry about. You know, like I'm just got it all figured out and you know, we're just, I'm gonna carry on and no matter what happened and no matter what life thought throws at me, she don't have to worry about me. So nobody calls and check on me. You know, but if somebody needs a couple dollars or if somebody going through this or somebody going to jail or somebody to beat up somebody or something, I'm the person they call, but it's like, you don't get, hey, how you doing today? You know, and- so What sticks out to me and what you just said, the key word there was role. The role that I have been thrust in, which means that that's not your genuine self, right? So we were all conditioned to go go to school um get good grades so we can get a good job right and and that's a, a failed system because profit has always been at the front passion is something that you do on the side and nobody even touches the purpose but if you tap into the purpose everything else comes automatically because all those different moving parts that's all that they are. They are extensions of us. But if we don't know what our purpose is, we will just be pulled through life and have this void. Well, I'm going to try this. Oh, well, that didn't work. Man, I still feel like I need to be doing something else. And I'm going to try this. Right. And then it, it spills over into our personal life, into relationships, into friendships and all of those things. We don't understand how to set boundaries. We let people walk all over us because we were conditioned in a process not through our purpose, but through all those other things of identifying ourselves as I'm a brother, so I'm supposed to give my brothers money when they call, right? I'm supposed to help these people. I'm supposed to do all of those things. That's a part of a tr psychological trap. And it's not until we identify that, hey, you know what? I'm off of that, that treadmill. I need to really see what's going to bring fulfillment to me. It doesn't mean that you're being selfish at all, but we've been told and, and conditioned to believe just that. Yeah. That's why we can't talk about ourselves. That's why we struggle with that, to tell people who we are and the things that we're working on because, oh, you're just being a show off, right? But one thing that I've, I've been trying to get people to understand the importance of being able to identify yourself with in under 20 seconds. But key things, don't nobody care that you're a dad or a mom, all that stuff, them, them loves of our lives, but nobody else cares about that. But 20 seconds, a 20 second pitch of identifying who you are, because that boosts your own confidence. 
but it also allows you to celebrate yourself because we don't celebrate ourselves. We move from one thing to the next. And that's a part of the lack of, of a self-esteem. So it's okay to say, hey, I did, Mark, you did what, 22, 24 years in the military? 24. 24 years in the, 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 the small stuff, we have to learn how to, to pat ourselves on the back because here's the problem. If I can validate you, I can also invalidate you. Oh. So we have to validate ourselves. You asked me a question, and I know we 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 kind of started talking about this other stuff. Um, do you remember? Do you recall what you asked me? Oh, I was talking um, to me. No, not you, uh, Dayton. Uh, as far as with emotional intelligence, what what I wanted to ask was. You remit you mentioned relationships. So a big thing that's coming up now is love languages. What do you do? How accurate do you because people will stake their whole life and relationships based off of the fact they think, oh, you fit in these five criteria of love, you must love me. I like to be touched, I like to have gifts. So you must know me the best because you know I like for you to buy me stuff. Psychologically how well do you think that fit in relationships and what do you think it does to create a structure or breakdown for relationships to live by those principles? Well, I think that Norman Chapman um, wrote a phenomenal series of books, but I think from a practical standpoint that it's unrealistic because we don't always have time to constantly validate the other person in that way. Because if you like signs, well, not signs, but you, um, your love language is gifts, or you like touch, or you like um, constantly being praised, or, or whatever, the other person, is, the other person is going to be left to feel empty because they're they're forced by default to constantly give to please you, and then you're being forgotten about in that process. So, at what point, if you stick to this love language system? Do you say, wait a minute, my needs aren't being met because I'm always trying to, to please and accommodate over here. So, um, listen, I think this is a, 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 a great conversation. My daughter is calling. She she it took her a little longer and right. And that's a good thing. But I got to go pick up my baby. Okay. Hey, that's uh, perfectly fine, man. Um, it, it was almost about time for us to bring this thing to a close. Um, however, uh, we will certainly revisit um, this conversation sometime in the future because um, I believe that it's the one that one deserves further discussion. And the secondly, there's probably a lot more questions that out there to, that could uh, that could be asked. And I, and uh, before I let you go, man, I just want to say uh, thank you for making yourself available to us, man. And uh, answering our questions as well as the questions of the people, of the listeners, man, we appreciate it. You all um, have any questions that you want to ask me offline? I'm not going to tax you for it. Send um, send an email. I'll text Mark my email address. That way, if it's something that you guys want to talk about, um, and again, I treat it the same way. If you were a a paying client, right, confidential. But you guys have a great night, and thank you for thinking enough of me to bring me on. Thank you. All right, brother. Appreciate you now. Have a good one. You too. Hey, that was uh, Dr. Cornelius Jones. And um, if you guys want to 
um, you know, himself or he has also I know that he has a um, a uh, a seminar for budding authors. You can uh, go to CorneliusDJones.com. That's uh, CorneliusDJones.com. You've seen it a couple of times at the bottom of the uh, of the screen since we since he's been on. So you can just you can visit that website. Um, <clears throat> also for for Dame, you can visit his website at uh, www. What is it? Never underestimate credit.com. Never underestimate credit.com. Um, a lot of good information in there. I went and seen it. Uh, you know, before we got on, hey, damn, I want to give you a shout out too, man. There's one thing I can I, first of all, I love to support black owned businesses, I hate to support them when they when they website is trash, bro. So, right. you, you got you got a you got a very good looking website, man. So, we appreciate that, man. Um, you gonna have to come back and uh and, and, and get down with us, man, a couple of times, bro. Hey, what uh, what's doctor the name of Dr. J's books, man? Um, I think it'll be really important to get his if his books can be found on Amazon so people can actually read to connect with him a lot more, you know what I'm saying, for who right. he is, certainly. And, and his books can be found on um, Amazon.com. He has more than just those two books, I think. Right now, he had 14, I believe. They all can be found at Amazon.com. If you go to books, type in author Cornelius Jones. All of his work will appear. Google Cornelius, because that ain't a regularly spelled name. He too is a psychology major. That's why you notice the combination conversation and connection between them two was uh authentic and it was um organic. So a lot of things that, you know, if you guys can't reach him, you know, reach out to Dame or whatever, because I felt like you brought a lot to this segment. And, you know, naturally, I wish we did this once we grew our following because this was extraordinary. It kept me in the room. I didn't mess with my phone, you know, my drink, <laughs> drink in the glass, you know. <laughs> hey, well, you know what? We're going to, um, like I said, it's, it's something that we're going to do. We're going to revisit and um you know next week we will get down and it'll, it'll be uh i'm sure it's gonna be just as enthralling <laughs> as this one was dame i hope you can come back out man and uh and kick it with us what'd you say i think he muted i so, said i'm back out whenever just let me know oh yeah no problem no problem man all right man well we're gonna do uh like i said um if you have a black owned business please uh, send us a, a text or you can send us an email at one black owned podcast at gmail.com. We also looking for um, some of our listeners to do shout outs. Uh, you can just text those directly to the, to the page and, and we'll get that, um, get that put up on the, uh, on the screen. And uh, as a matter of fact, uh, after Peaches says whatever she has to say, we'll close with a shout out. And then I look forward to seeing y'all next week. Same back time, same back channel. Well, of course, you know me, it's from, as the weeks go on, I don't have much to add, you know, great show, I enjoyed it, you know, I think I found the calling, so I'll definitely be back, and I'll see you guys next week. All right, y'all stay on. Okay. Hey, yo, what up? This is Deontay Shabazz from Shabazz Beauty Supply here in Waldorf, Maryland. 
And now I'm rocking with the best Sincere and Peaches on the Black-Owned Podcast. Check it out, y'all. It's for the culture.